With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I have streamed every day since we recorded the podcast last week. What do you think about that? That makes me so happy. I okay, so we're gonna get to this in a little bit because you've been playing arena on stream the past few days. I have I was gonna confess to you that I've turned to the dark side. (laughs) Uh, And I, I was looking for I forget when it was Oh, I think it was Thursday, some night, I forget, I was looking for some content. And I was like, Oh, I can watch Ben's VOD of him playing arena for the first time. And it was so delightful. Just like watching you be surprised by it, watching you like be like, I think I like this. Watching you like get excited about certain things. It was really it was really just just fun to watch. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I went in to planning to stream arena with very low expectations of like drafting with bots. I needed to set up. I just wanted to like set it up to be able to stream it. I was like, I'll do this for like an hour. And I also decided to set up Streamlabs OBS, which if any any streamers out there are not using Streamlabs OBS, oh my God, you need to do it as a game changer. I told you to do that like months ago. I know, but I was lazy and I just didn't do it. And you were so, so, so right. So I did that. And then I started. So between Streamlabs OBS and just Arena, I ended up streaming Arena for like five hours. I forgot about my laundry. So I couldn't go to bed when I was done streaming because my sheets were wet. So I had to wait for them to run through the dryer. Uh, But yeah, it's been great. Has far surpassed all my expectations. I streamed it a few more days after that. Uh, So I was going to get into this a little bit later, but I might as well ask you about it now because we're talking about Arena. Uh, And we haven't talked about it on the podcast really at all because you haven't played it yet. And I have played it, but my computer is a potato and it's like really hard for me to I can't certainly can't stream it, let alone can barely run it when I'm not streaming. So how do you feel about all the bells and whistles? First of all, like, are you like pro the animations and like the sound effects and all that stuff? I do not care about that stuff at all, except the healer's hawk makes like this really awesome hawk cry when you play it. (laughs) And that that really entertains me for some reason. (laughs) Uh, Like just playing that on turn one and then being able to go like, ah, (laughs) along with the little sound animation. Yeah, yeah, that's my attempt at a hawk cry there. So that entertains me. But more so than for me, like as a streamer, it's really cool knowing that the people that are watching my stream like all the animations and care about all the animations. And more than anything, the deck master extension, which is this thing where you can mouse over like anybody that's watching my stream can mouse over the cards at their own pace. They can see what's in my graveyard. They can see how many cards are left in my library. They can make the cards bigger and read them. And during the drafting portion, they can actually vote. So like as a streamer, it's pretty cool 
during the drafting portion to let, let's say people vote for like, there's a hard pick between, you know, status statue and, you know, artful takedown or something. And, you know, the votes roll in and then I can start discussing why I think one card's better than the other and people can change their votes. It's just pretty cool to have immediate feedback and really facilitates discussion during the drafting portion, even though you're drafting against bots, like it's still cool to see why, what cards are the pick, et cetera, et cetera. And there's no time limit on each pick. So you can spend as much time or as little time you want, like discussing those things. So if it's a real heated debate about like, no, I really think it's this card for this reason, or this card feels like a signal for these reasons, that sort of thing, you can spend the time explaining that to people. Right. And I think, you know, for our podcast, I still think the data we get from MTGO is much more like real and actionable as far as like teaching people how to draft the format. But I could see next draft set, you know, starting out on arena for my first five drafts or something so that people can mouse over the cards, you know, Mm -hmm. because everybody's unfamiliar with the cards. So I think arena might be like something I try to start with and then like hit MTGO super hard. Yeah. And then maybe after I feel like I've figured out the format a little bit, uh, then maybe shift back to arena. I don't know. But I do see myself mixing in arena with the MTGO gameplay. And now the biggest question of all for folks like you and me, what do you feel about drafting against bots? It's fine. It bothers me less than I thought it would. Uh, mostly, I think, because the Deckmaster extension and the voting is so cool on Arena. I don't think I would like it nearly as much just doing it in the comfort of my own apartment, not streaming it. And I do feel like it's exploitable. And I think a lot of having success on Arena, you know, but I've only done like six drafts, seven drafts. But I do feel like a lot of your success is going to be dependent on going into a draft with the idea of, okay, the bots undervalue this. I should do this. Like, I think if literally if I had just drafted Selesnia in every draft I've done on Arena so far right now, I would have had the best deck each time. It feels like the bots are really undervaluing Selesnia cards to me. Rosemane Centaurs are tabling left and right. And that's sort of happening in the online metagame too. Right. But not draft in and draft out because some people do open busted Selesnia rares and draft Selesnia or whatever. But it feels like on Arena, you could just do it every time. So that that'll I'll be curious to see how that shakes out if I do more drafts on Arena, if I still feel that way or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's still my biggest hang up. And I recognize that it's not that big of a difference. But I do feel like the most fun I have drafting and my biggest edge as a limited player is navigating drafts and reading signals and knowing when to jump ship or when to hold on for dear life and that sort of thing. And I feel like that gets lessened on arena against the bots. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think every time I've tried to draft blue, I've barely made playables, which I don't think is necessarily true in every draft you do on Magic Online. No, for sure. And so and again, I've got like a super small sample size, but we'll see. Right. Yeah. Well, but I assume that you'll will continue to to throw in some arena streams your way. Yeah, I think I'll mix it up from here on out, probably. Sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to get my new rig set up by the end of the year. So I will also be be joining you there. I do think are, streaming arena does seem fun to me. And certainly I will say for constructing. Like, dare I say, I might be. Oh, my God. I know. I know. That's that's the crazy thing. I think that would be fun. That's what makes the most sense to me about why a lot of pros are like so pro arena is because it seems like it's great for constructed. Yeah, I certainly think so. And I have a confession. I took an Arclight Phoenix over a Lava Coil when Lava Coil was obviously the correct pick because I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll play constructed. Want to save myself that mythic wild card? There it is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, did you get a chance to, I guess, either keep track of your record on arena or get some more 
records on MTGO to check in on the trophy leaderboard. Yeah, I did some drafts on MTGO a lot at the start of the week. Uh, some up to 42 drafts now, a whopping 42 drafts. Yeah, whopping. Still stuck at 11 trophies, uh, 86 and 39. My win rate has dipped down to 69%. I'm on an 11 draft drought uh, without a trophy. Bunch of two ones, couple one twos mixed in there. And that was part of what facilitated me like trying arena. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's hard because there's not a ton of money cards in the set. So if you do just like two on a bunch in a row, you're gonna bleed tickets a little bit. Yep, definitely starting to happen. So what where are things at for you? Uh, I've only done four drafts of guilds since this week. I was diving pretty deep into the corset cube, which I really, really liked. And then I've been doing some time spiral drafts as well. That's the flashback thing. Just trying to, to mix it up. I, you know, it was really funny. After 100 guilds drafts, I was like, I'm cruising. This format's super fun. Like I'm definitely gonna crack 200 drafts. And then something just shifted for me. And it stopped being kind of fun. Like the repetitiveness of the matchups started to wear on me. Just being like seeing mountain plains and knowing what I was getting into, seeing island swamp and knowing what I was getting into, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of the same kind of stuff. And like, they're all difficult matchups. Like, I feel like the gameplay is super deep. And maybe that's also part of the reason where I'm like, this is kind of exhausting. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I've done 131 drafts total, 28 trophies. I did pick up two trophies this week, 253 to 134, still at 65% win rate. Sweet. We also, included in both of our GRN drafts, we got a showdown video in the books this week, Ben. We did. It was super awesome to make. We sat down on Tuesday and fired it up. You got we didn't make it into the same draft queue on the first attempt, which was brutal. But luckily you opened a foil. What was it? Dream Eater. Foil Dream Eater for those sweet 30 ticks. So you dropped and we'd rejoined again. So this video is us drafting each navigating a different seat in the same draft. Uh, you were two seats to my three seats to my left. We had two people in between us. And you can go check out both of our our videos. So each of us individually recorded our draft. And then we jammed the games together and commentated our own matches. Occasionally went into the tank, the other person muted and we sort of explained some plays or what we were thinking about lines. I think it's a super unique piece of limited content and I would highly encourage anybody that likes our podcast to go check it out. Yeah, you're going to get some sweet Ethan and Ben banter. You get both of us talking through both drafts and not only are we commentating the matches, but all information is revealed to you. We have both hands revealed in the video. Um, shout out to Sweek76 on Twitch for helping us out with that overlay. Um, it was really, really worked out well. So we're happy to have got that in the books. And the reason we have that in the books is because of our Patreon. That's right, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is a place to give back to the show if you so choose. And we want to give incentives for folks who do want to give back to the show and help us reach our stretch goals and the showdown videos that are now going to be monthly pieces of content we will be releasing is all thanks to the folks over at Patreon. You want to donate a dollar per episode, you get access to our Discord. That's where all things limited are happening, still deep in the format. If you want to get in on those like weekly offerings from MTGO, get people talking about the Corset Cube, talking about time spiral flashback drafts, we've got my Modern Cube coming up in a little bit. So all that stuff's going to be discussed in the Lords of Limited Discord. Go check it out. we got some, some really sweet perks over there at patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. And we want to shout out our new patrons each and every week. So this week we got to welcome Jonas, Mark, Rob, Travis, John, Alan, Chris, Aaron, Philip, Luca, Francisco, Connor, and Ben. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yes, cannot say thank you enough. And we should also shout out one of our patrons who ate owed day one of GP Milwaukee and is currently battling it out on day two, 
DC Sports 8, a.k.a. Zach Dubin, or maybe the other way around. <laughs> Zach Dubin, <laughs> a.k.a. DC Sports 8. I don't know. He's on yes. Twitch so much that maybe he's just morphed into DC Sports. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's so, so impressive. And I think we can probably take credit for that, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's a standard GP. We, we give lots of standard advice. I've played Green Black in Limited, so I assume Green Black and Standard is the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. I, look, I was drafting Green Black in Ixalan. I know about exploring and wild growth walkers. I, I, I get it. So you're welcome, Zach. And also congratulations. <laughs> uh, all right. So we've got a lot to do. We're doing our Guilds of Ravnica What's the Play episode this week. But we, we got to start off with a roundtable. I just I can't get enough of, of the little pivots, the bobs and the weaves. Ben, you got a good good draft for us this week? I do. If you want to take a seat, pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. This was a tough first pick. We Dragonauts, one blue red for the one three flyer. When you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets plus two plus O until end of turn. Status statue, the split Golgari card. Status is hybrid black green. Target creature gets plus one plus one and gains death touch until end of turn. And statue is two black green. Destroy target artifact, creature, or enchantment. And then your rare, one of your rares, you had a foil mythic rare of Thousand Year Storm in the pack. And your other rare was Izoni Thousand Eyed, which is two black black green green for the two three. Has undergrowth when it ETBs, you create a one one black and green insect token for each creature in your graveyard. And has the ability black green, sacrifice another creature, you gain one life and draw a card. So for all of our Lords of Limited listeners out there, you know from How to Draft GRN Part 1, both Izoni and Status Statue are nice pulls into Golgari, as well as We Dragonauts being a nice pull into it. But I do think the power level on, I think both uh, Izoni and Status Statue is higher than We Dragonauts. So even though I'm going to be taking a Golgari card and passing a Golgari card, I still think it's the right decision. So then the question is, which one do I want? And I don't know, like maybe the flexibility of status statue is supposed to edge it out like that. I could then splash it in some sort of Demir or Selesnya deck and that status is, is playable in a lot of different color options. You know, like that's probably the most flexible card, those hybrid color split cards. But Izoni is just so busted. So I, I recognize that it's kind of a high risk, but it's also a high reward. There's a Rhizome Lurcher in the pack. So it's very real that I could take Izoni here and wheel Rhizome Lurcher with someone picking up status statue in between and still be able to be Golgari. So I think I'd be on Izoni here. Right. I agree. That's ultimately what I settled on as well. And I just have been feeling lately, you know, we haven't really talked about this much on the podcast. I have been feeling terrible about trying to draft Is It. It just feels like every time I try to get it, dip my toe in there, I get three or four picks into an Is It deck just feels like I'm competing with at least two other drafters. Oh, yeah, for sure. So like even you're saying like, let's say we thought we Dragonauts was like maybe slightly higher power level or a little closer. Would you still be like, I just don't want to mess with it. I'm steering away from is it at this point? Yeah, like I just don't want to fight people. I'm so tired of fighting and audibling out. And I think I end up with worse decks when I have to audible out. Mm -hmm. It just feels I mean, if I'm clearly like if the best card in the packs clearly is it I'm going to do it. But if it's close, and I have an excuse to not try to go is it that's the way I'm leaning at this point. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I've just been so bummed. We've talked about this before. I think when we've been looking at some round tables or looking at like pro tour drafts, like those, those yeah. Sonic Assault fifth picks. It's just like, ah, that's not what I want. I don't want to be fighting with two other people. Yep. All right. So moving on to pack one, pick two, you've got that Izoni in your pile. You see the following cards as options. Really just a choice between direct current, one red, red, deal two damage to any target with jumpstart and deadly visit three black, black for the sorcery, destroy target creature, surveil two. Now in a vacuum, I think we have direct current ahead of deadly visit. I agree. But with the caveat of like, I'm sick of fighting people over red cards. 
that I think I might now, even if this were pack one, pick one, grab Deadly Visit. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And especially with Izoni in the pile, I think this is a clear Deadly Visit. Yes, I agree. So moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. There's a Hypothesizal, three blue red for the instant, draw two, and you can discard a non-land card. If you do, Hypothesizal deals four damage to target creature. There's a Demir Guildgate. There's a Douster of Lights. Four and a black for the four five. There's a generous stray, two and a green for the one two. When it ETBs, you draw a card. And there's a thoughtbound phantasm, single blue for the two two with defender. When you surveil, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And as long as it has three or more plus one plus one counters, it can attack as though it didn't have defender. And there's also a capture sphere, three and a blue for the enchantment with flash, enchant creature. When Capture Sphere ETBs, tap the Enchanted Creature, and it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Well, so as loath as I am to maybe grab a blue card here because I don't want to fight over it, is it? There's just a ton of them. And Thoughtbound Phantasm third, again, I feel like one through picks one through three, it's hard to pick up on any, any signals. But I do believe Thoughtbound Phantasm is the best card in a vacuum here, and we've already got a Deadly Visit, so we could maybe be pivoting into a, a Demir deck. So I think I'd grab that here. That's also what I settled on, and worth noting that there's a rare and an uncommon missing out of that pack, so not really right. super strong signals to be found yet. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to pack one, pick four. This is a super weak pack. Uh, your options are Leapfrog, two and a blue for a three one. It has flying if you've cast an instant or sorcery this turn iron shell beetle is probably the best green card in the pack there's also a siege worm uh, and then there's child of night one in a black for the two on lifelink and a big bunch of poop soup a uh, rare uncommon are missing and a common is missing and your two uncommons remaining are electrostatic field and arboretum elemental yeah i mean i think i take a very sad child of night here like it goes with izoni it'll go in a demir deck i don't feel like there's anything else worth moving off of or that i feel like is a signal yeah that's what i settled on as well very sad child of night so currently in your pile you've got izoni deadly visit thoughtbound phantasm child of night still have the option to go demir or golgari trying to sort it out Pack one, pick five, another fairly weak pack here. There's a Demir Guildgate and a Golgari Guildgate. And then the next best cards in the pack are probably like Skyline Scout, one and a white for the two one. When it attacks, you can pay one and a white if you do it gains flying until end of turn. Guys, surprisingly annoying. Mm -hmm. There's a Command the Storm, four and a red. Instant deals five damage to target creature is the best red card in the pack. And then like a lot with giant, clunky, you don't really want that this early. You think Command the Storm is better than Smelt Ward Minotaur? I do, yeah. Smelt Ward Minotaur has been pretty unimpressive for me. Oh, I... That has not been my experience. I think that's the best card in this pack. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I'm too low on that. I think you might be. I think I might take that here. Like, you can grab a gate and just stay on course, and you will miss a gate. I mean, I feel like when we're talking about these sort of hedge picks in, in pick five or pick six, like weighing the options of like, are you going to miss this card if you end up in blue-black or end up in green-black? And I think you might miss a gate depending on if you're going to be splashing and you're going more Sultai, or if you end up with a Glaive or a Gargoyle or Guild Summit, that sort of thing. But if that isn't a consideration. I do think Smelt Ward Minotaur feels like a bit of an appropriate hedge here. That's interesting. Uh, if I were hedging on a card, I think it would be Command the Storm, but I was content to ride out the train here, and I ended up settling on Demir Guildgate, but maybe I should have hedged on a red card there. I hadn't even really thought about that. Moving on to pack one, pick six, another pretty weak pack. By far, the best card in the pack is Luminous Bonds, two and a white enchant creature. Enchanted creature can't attack or block. Uh, to give you an idea, best green card, Siege Worm, Vidalcan Mesmerist is the only blue card. And there's also still a Blade Instructor in the pack as another good white card and a Boros Guildgate. Ding, 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 ding. This is your pivot pick right here luminous bonds should not be going this late and the fact that there's also a blade instructor still in the pack i mean maybe someone took a 10th district guard shots fired but 
I do think that Luminous Bonds here is the appropriate pivot to be on. Yeah, it felt so to me too. And I took Luminous Bonds here. And I think you'd have maybe even been a pick ahead of me if you'd hedged red in the last pack. Is that a little spoiler? Might be, yeah. <laughs> pick seven, you see the following cards as options. There's a Vernati Shieldmate still in the pack. One green-white hybrid for the 2-2 Vigi. Uh, Selesnia Guildgate and Hellkite. Well, probably is the best red card in the pack. Four and a red for a 3-3 Flyer. When it attacks, deals damage to target creature defending player controls. No blue cards in the pack. Best green card, probably again a Siege Worm or that Vernati Shieldmate, and then an erstwhile Trooper. Not a lot to speak of here. No, not a lot to speak of. I think I might just take the Shieldmate. Like, it's a fine two-drop in Boros if that's what we end up in, but we don't know we're going to end up in Boros. Maybe we're going to end up in Selesnia. Maybe we're just splashing Luminous Bonds in a Golgari deck, but I don't feel like we've seen... Like, Golgari should be smacking us in the face, right? Yeah, probably. If that's what we want to do. I mean, I guess we're about to find out if Rhizome Lurcher wheels in a couple picks, and that'll perhaps indicate something, but otherwise i'm not sure like i think gate to splash luminous bonds seems okay but otherwise i think i'd be on shield mate yeah uh i was on the train of Guildgate splashing luminous bonds maybe in my golgari deck but shield mate seems like a fine pick there as well and then pack one pick eight you get a huge signal legion guild mage still in the pack pick eight that's the red white for the two two pay six tap deals three damage to target opponent and two white tap it to tap another target creature not a lot else in the pack. There's a Boros Guildgate, a Sonic Assault, Wario Copy. Nothing very exciting. Yeah. So now, I mean, I think this feels like a pretty strong signal, and it's going to be something that I'm going to steer towards, even though we don't have a ton of playables in that color pair, but I am going to try and steer Boros at this point. Yeah, that's what I did as well. Pack nine, I uh, picked up a Hammer Dropper on the wheel, and worth noting that the Rhizome Lurcher did not wheel, so like definitely staying away from Golgari at that point. That means two people picked Golgari cards out of that pack. Right. Pick 10, you wheel a Smelt Ward Minotaur, which is great because you're pretty high on that card. Mm-hmm. Uh, Righteous Blow, a Maniacal Rage, a pick 13 Skyline Scout. Feels like a huge signal that Boros is open because if they're competing with a lot of Boros drafters, you probably won't get two drops that late. Um, so yeah, I ended up in Boros and got rewarded and really reaped the wards in pack two and pack three. Ended up with a good Boros deck that two won. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of reading those signals seeing what wield what doesn't wield what the density of cards in particular colors are at the end of the pack all that stuff that we've been sort of trying to hit home for the past few weeks yeah all right well that's going to move us into our what's the plays so if you've not tuned into this style episode before we're going to be taking a look at a handful of board states that ben and i have come across in our many travels in the world of guilds of ravnica limited we'll be talking you through our decks sort of like what the situation is and then posing the question of what to do to the other person and then we'll talk through it for the sake of not trying to muddle things, we won't be you know, describing what every card does. We will be describing the board, but we'll make sure to put imager links for all of the board states and the deck picks and all that good stuff in the info where you download the show so you can follow along at home if you want to, unless you're driving, please don't follow along at home. All right, so Ben, I got my first what's to play for you here. So the deck that we're looking at is a pretty sweet streamlined green-white aggro deck. We got triple Healer's Hawk, triple Rosemane Centaur. We're splashing Aurelia Exemplar of Justice because we are our bosses. We've got a glaive with about six gates. So we got four Selesnia guild gates, a Boros gate, and a gateway plaza. So this is just like classic green-white aggro glaive good stuff. This is game three against a very strange Jeskai control deck. We've seen Lockets, we've seen Deafening Clarion, we've seen some Rubble Belt Boars, Loxodon Restore, Wojek Bodyguards, all these things out of our opponent. So the first question I have for you, so we're on the play in game three, and this is your hand, and I'd like a little Keeper Mole question from you, Ben. So you've got three lands, Plains, Plains, Mountain, and your cards are 10th District Guard, Knight of Autumn, that's the rare 2-1, one green-white, Conclave Cavalier, green, green, white, white, 
and Rose Main Centaur. Keeper Mole on the play. Yeah, this is tough. The first thing I would want to know is how many green sources I have. So I'm going to go check that out in the deck pick real quick. And it looks like nine green sources, counting Gateway Plaza and four Selesnya Guildgates. So five of those nine green sources come into play tap, yep. which is pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if you run the odds on that, you're about 47% by turn three to hit a green source and maybe 63% by turn four. And, you know, 63% okay on turn four, but a lot of them are tapped. And if you hit your tapped source on turn four, that's a kind of a disaster. And this hand literally does pretty much stone nothing without a green source. If our 10th district guard were maybe like a Vernati shield mate or mm-hmm. something, and I had the option of like getting Rosemain Centaur out via Convoke, I'd be a little more excited to keep this. But as it stands, I think it's too risky and your deck looks totally busted to me. Uh, so I think that would make me all combined to want to ship this and just look for a better starting. Yes, game. I agree completely. I think though, the one thing, I think the reason I wanted to bring this hand up was because I think this is a lot closer than people think. Like I do think it's a mulligan, but I think a lot of people would just go, oh, snap mulligan, can't cast anything. Whereas like, I think looking at the green sources, like if they all came into play on tap, like let's say all nine green sources were forests, it's pretty close. Like I would like to be at 70% when I'm looking at odds for things like that makes me feel more comfortable 63 percent is close and you know mulliganing is a pretty big cost and but all that said i do think that the tap lands are too much of a cost and the fact that i think we really need to curve out against this opponent i think they are going to win the late game with their like their death and clarion for sure and they're like locks and arm restore to gain life and stuff so i think just shipping this and hoping for a better six is the way to go so would you keep if you had nine untapped green sources i think it'd be really close i think in the dark i would like if I don't know what I'm up against. Right. I think I'd still be tempted to mull that hand. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Conclave Cavalier makes it kind of a mulligan already. I guess that's a consideration. What if that were another Rosemain Centaur? Yeah, then I'd be a lot more interested in keeping. Or like even I said, if it was a Vernati shield mate, like it would right. be a snap keep, I think for me. I, yeah, I think that that's pretty interesting, right? If, if the 10th District Guard is a shield mate, I think you snap keep because you can cast Rosemain Centaur with any land. Right. Yeah, I just think I think there's a lot more to unpack with that hand other than just like, oh, you have no green sources, you should mulligan. Yeah, which I think a lot of people would come to that conclusion. That, that happens to me all the time when I'm streaming. People are like, oh, you can't do anything. Ship it. Like, But there's way more to it, Like, especially in games two and three. Like, How does the matchup work? Are land drops good in the matchup? Like if you've got five lands, two spells, like and hitting land drops is important in the matchup, like you're way more likely to keep it even if you can't immediately cast something, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right, so we, we mulligan down and now we're on turn seven of the game so we've both stumbled on land you and your opponent so what the board state's looking like here is you've got four lands in play two Slesnia guild gates a plains and a forest you've got knight of autumn with two counters on it so a four three versus their two mountains plains island boros guild gate but only one of those is untapped they've got a boros guild gate untapped at the moment so they have one untapped mana and a rubble belt boar in play they've already fired off their deafening clarion so we don't have to worry about that but you did get two for one a little bit earlier so the question here is you've got four cards in hand and you've got a couple options so the four cards in hand are parhelion patrol 10th district guard prey upon and crushing canopy so with your four mana available i think you have two options first the first is whether or not to play Parhelion Patrol, which uses up all of your mana, but doesn't really enable a good attack, right? So you could attack your 4-3, they would theoretically block with Rubble Belt Boar and trade, which doesn't very good for you. I would like to keep my 4-3 around. But getting Parhelion Patrol into play is nice as it's an evasive threat. Or you can double spell with 10th District Guard and Prey Upon. 10th District Guard having relevant text for the first time, because it would be able to, to give plus... O plus one to Knight of Autumn, making it a 4-4, and then enabling a safe Prey Upon 
against the Rebel Belt Four. Performing like the second pick it was meant to be. <laughs> so what do you think about those two different options there, Ben? One a little bit more mana efficient, one a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, so I think the first thing that I would consider here is that I feel like I'm the beatdown from what you've described in the matchup. And if I take a look at the life totals, like we're at 23, they're at 17. Like it feels like you are in the position of the aggressor. And if you play Parhelion Patrol, yes, it uses all your mana, but it doesn't keep the pressure up on your opponent so much. So I'm much more interested in the 10th District Guard Prey Upon line, but they do have one mana untapped. And if they have Take Heart, it absolutely crushes you. Like you probably lose the game on the spot or close to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is... This is an interesting thing. So I, I think what you're... Can I give you some information first? Yeah. So I, I just want to say so it, we are in game three, right? You have seen a righteous blowout of your opponent. You have not okay. seen take heart or integrity intervention. Not saying that that doesn't mean they can have it, but we haven't seen it yet. So just throwing that out there. Right. Okay. So if you 10th district guard and you attack and they righteous blow, you're two for one in them. Right. Which if, feels very good. Mm -hmm. So you're totally fine with that. If they take heart, you one for one, which is like a little bit of a bummer, but like not a disaster. But I think like the tempting thing is to just go like 10th district guard prey upon. Right. But then if they have take heart or integrity intervention, you just get absolutely crushed. So I think the right play is to 10th district guard, give it plus O plus one, turn it into a four, four swing, see if they block. And if they have that combat trick, they're almost certainly going to fire it off and try to get you. Uh -huh. And then so if they decide not to block, then you can probably assume the coast is clear to prey upon. Right. Yes. And that is a conclusion that I don't know if I would have come to on my own. But with the help of that hashtag chat advantage from Twitch, they helped me to get there that it was definitely correct to 10th district guard pre combat swing with the four four. If they have a pump spell, they're gonna fire it off. And then if they don't, I get in for four. And then I get to prey upon post combat, knowing that almost certainly it's in the clear from a take heart or an integrity. And that's what I did. Um, sequencing matters and 10th district guard has relevant text. Wins all around. All right, I got a what's the play here for you. Starting off, let me describe the deck for you. This might actually be the round table deck that we did. I think maybe looking at it, one of the oh, two. Uh, so this is a Boros deck here, fairly recent Boros deck, uh, very low to the ground. You got double Maniacal Rage, triple Sky Knight Legionnaire, a couple Hammer Droppers, Boros Challenger, Legion Guild Mage, no one drop creatures, unfortunately, but you are running 19 creatures, Blade Instructor, Legion War Boss, Wojek Bodyguard. So just a pretty stereotypical looking Boros deck minus like the Healer's Hawks or things at one CMC that are creatures. So first choice, again, just like you had, is keep or mull on the play against an unknown opponent. So what do you think of this hand here? This hand is two lands, plains, mountain, take heart, the one mana, instant speed, plus two, plus two, maniacal rage, the one in red enchantment that gives plus two, plus two, a wojek bodyguard, two in red for the three, three that can't attack or block alone, parhelion patrol, three in a white for the two, three flying vigilance mentor, and a second copy of maniacal rage. You've got combat trick, two auras, a three drop that can't attack or block alone, and then a four drop. Yep. This is a pretty easy mulligan in my opinion. Yeah, it's weird though, right? Because it looks like it could be a keep because any land and you play your Wojek Bodyguard, if you hit two land drops, which is fairly likely in the first few draws, then you get Parhelion Patrol and you can sort of start going off with your Bodyguard and Parhelion Patrol. But I think the ultimate problem with this is this hand is super disruptible. If your opponent has a removal spell for either Wojek Bodyguard or Parhelion Patrol, I think you just lose the game. So I think it's way too high risk. So I want to talk about the phrase you just used of pretty likely to hit those lands. Lands, you basically to the dream would be to draw two lands in the next three draws, right? Yes. You are 38% to do that. No. Yeah. 
14 you have 14 lands left you're three draws and two things that you want it's not very you're not high to do that and that's not even that good i don't think yeah all right <laughs> so i didn't run the odds it felt fair. <laughs> i felt good i felt like i was fairly likely yeah. to draw a couple lands you know 38 yeah. percent, fairly likely I mean, you, so you were just feeling good i was yeah okay that's i need to i, I didn't know that i should include that in the odds calculator uh, speaking of i have been running hotter than the sun on arena <laughs> just absolute fire like uh, i think it's the sand will be fine i'll just draw a swamp immediately draw a swamp it's been great yeah so that probably has something to do with your love affair yeah okay so we got that out of the way we mold that hand next decision so you're in game one here you've mold a hand with all mountains fresh faced recruit and a couple other white drops that you kept so your current board state on turn three is fresh faced recruit two mountains your hand is sun home stalwart two Skyline Scouts, a Blade Instructor, and another Mountain. So you don't have a play this turn, which feels pretty bad mm -hmm. uh, in your Boros aggro deck. And you're staring down a Vernati Shieldmate out of your Selesnya opponent. And they have Selesnya Guildgate tapped and Forest tapped because they just cast their Vernati Shieldmate. You're both at 20 and you have a decision here. You're obviously going to play your Mountain. Do you attack with your Fresh-Faced Recruit or not? So I guess there's two things to think about. Like, if you're not attacking, then are you going to be blocking, right? I guess there's really only the one thing to think about. If you're not attacking, then are you blocking? And I guess the merit to blocking is specifically against Selesnia, taking them off of a creature that can be used to ramp out something um, if they want to attack their shieldmate into your fresh-faced recruit. I don't know. It's very tempting to just say, well, I'm Boros, I should be attacking. But your hand doesn't really do anything, so maybe you're just supposed to block. I think if I weren't staring at this board as a what's the play decision, I think I would just be like, oh, I'm just going to attack. But the more I think about it, the more I think you're supposed to not and just block and try and trade and keep them off of like ramping into Rosemain Centaur or something. Yeah, I think so. I think this boils down to a who's the beatdown question. And I think you're not the beatdown because you have no play this turn and your opponent is fairly likely. Selesnya is already a bad matchup for you. Like they're going to have life gain. It's tough to race a Selesnya deck as the Boros player. I just think you're not winning the game right now already you can establish that because you don't have a planes in hand now as soon as you turn the corner with the planes maybe that'll change but i think for right now your best hope is that your opponent decides to attack with bernardi shield make and you get a block and trade and take them off a creature maybe to convoke out a rosemain center or something yeah that makes sense to me. So that is what I did. And they did end up attacking their Vernati Shieldmate into my fresh-faced recruit. I blocked. And then fast forward a couple turns, you're still behind. So turn four, you drew your planes and you deployed a Sunhome Stalwart. So it's now your turn five. And here's what the board looks like. Life totals are still at 20 because you traded your fresh-faced recruit for their Vernati Shieldmate. On their turn three, they played a Sworn Companions. And on their turn four, they used those tokens to convoke out a Rosemain Centaur and played a tapped Guildgate. So they're tapped out with two Selesnya Guildgates, a forest and a swamp on the battlefield, four lands. They have an untapped Rosemain Centaur and two tapped lifelink tokens from their sworn companions. It's your turn five. You've got a Sunhome Stalwart on the battlefield, three mountains and a plains. And then your hand is still two Skyline Scouts, a Blade Instructor, and you've drawn Take Heart for the turn. So what's the play here? You're choked on white mana, can only play one of these four spells this turn. All right, so I see three options. And I think I'm going to rule out one pretty quickly. So first option is you attack and hope that your opponent is a robot and blocks. And then you get him with take heart. That doesn't seem very good to me. I agree. Because I imagine they just go, okay, no blocks because they're at 20. And then they crack you back for six with the two lifelinking tokens, mitigating the damage from the stalwart. So then you have 
a second option, which is to pass and use take heart on blocks and hope to get them by getting a 4-4 first striker against their 4-4 rose main centaur. And then the other option is to just deploy a creature, like blade instructor being the most mana efficient, and probably do nothing because stalwart can still hold off the lifelinking tokens. You're going to take four from rose main centaur, but maybe having blade instructor in place sets up some future attacks, sets up you being able to like mentor onto your first striker or whatever. So I think those are the two options. Either hold up, take heart, and block and hope that you get them with the trick or just play Blade Instructor. Yeah, am I missing anything else? No, I don't think so. Which of those two options do you think is better? I guess I just feel like if you get blown out by Take Heart, you lose the game on the spot, basically. Right. Right. If you, if you play Take Heart and they have some a pump spell of their own or a removal spell, but maybe you're just losing anyway. That's what I think. So let me let me tell you this. So let me let's let's look down the let's look down the road a little bit. If you played a Blade Instructor, so if you play Blade Instructor, you're still not double blocking the Rose Main Center, right? Right. So you're still taking four a turn from the Rose Main Centaur. Mm -hmm. And then to ever mount an offensive, you're going to have to attack into the two lifelink soldiers with your Blade Instructor and probably trade it. Maybe you use Take Card or whatever. And then they always have the option to crack you back with the lifelinking soldier tokens, which is just like an impossible race to win when you're also getting beaten down by the Rose Main Centaur. And currently with the cards in your hand, you never have an option against the Rose Main Centaur other than double blocking it and two for one in yourselves or take carding and two for one in yourselves unless the take heart on the Sunhome style work plan works. So that's why I ultimately decided that I was supposed to not attack and take the high risk, high reward play with take heart. And I went for something that would put me in a much better position in multiple turns down the road if it worked, as opposed to doing something that's going to cause me to bleed for damage and not really have an answer to that like down the road. I'm hoping to draw something off the top that deals with Rose Main Centaur. And in my deck, if you take a look, I literally don't have a removal spell that does it except for Justice Strike or like drawing a hammer dropper that can trade. Like those are literally my only outs. And as you talk it through, that really makes a lot of sense to me. So I think you just like, ha- even though it feels so bad to do it, I think that is the correct thing to do is just pass and, and hope to one for one because this is really your only option to do that. Right. Yes, this is this is the turn to do it if I want to do it. And I think it's really high risk, high reward, but I think it's the right thing to do given all that other information. So I did do that. My opponent attacked into it. I take carded and we traded. And ultimately, I ended up, you know, playing defensively for like the first seven or eight turns of the game as a Boros deck. I got some lucky top decks of some five twos at timely moments and things like that and ended up pulling out this game. And it felt great because I don't think if I had made every decision I did down the road as like playing as defensively as possible and taking high risks that I would have won the game. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a really smart way to navigate that and really tough to initially switch gears and be like, I'm the Boros deck, but I'm not the beatdown right now. All right, we're going to take a look at the third What's the Play here. My deck is a grindy Golgari deck with four Rhizome Lurchers, 20 creatures, and only removal in the form of Indric and Prey Upon. This is game one against Boros, and here's the situation. It's turn five. Your opponent has stumbled on their land drops with only two in play and a fresh-faced recruit. Your board is four lands, a tapped Ocarina Assassin, a Burglar Rats, and a Crawl Harpooner. In hand, you have a Golgari Guildgate, a Discovery Dispersal, and two Rhizome Lurchers with nothing in your graveyard. Your opponent has hit their third land, finally, on turn five. They're at 19, you're at 16. They're attacking their fresh-faced recruit, which is a 2-1 first striker, into your Burglar Rats and Crawl Harpooner. Do you block or not? And if so, how do you block? So you're sort of losing a little bit, like as far as life totals, but you're way ahead as far as mana and board presence. Mm -hmm. So if you take this, you go to 14 and then... Your opponent probably has a play since they hit their third land mm-hmm. drop, but you're cracking back for five. But the rhizome lurchers, like as tutus, are really not 
exciting plays as four drops. So I think I think you have a couple options. I'm not sure what's better. I think if you're blocking, you're definitely double blocking. Why? Because either you trade one for one with a fresh faced recruit, which you're fine with, like that feels great, or they play a combat trick of some sort and you get two for one, but you're not really getting two for one because burglar rats already made them discard a card. Right. So I think that's fine. And then if your two creatures go to the graveyard, then you get to play a four, four rhizome lurcher, which also feels great. So if you double block, you're happy with the outcome or you're fine. Not happy if you get two for one, but you're not really getting two for one. I think you're happy to have two creatures go to your graveyard in exchange for a combat trick because that's probably your opponent's entire turn. And then attacking into a 4-4 Rhizome Lurcher is going to be pretty hard for them. So that feels fine. If you take two, go to 14. I think my plan for the next turn would be to play Discovery Dispersal and to look for something better to do than a Rhizome Lurcher down the road. But that's risky because then if you do that and you don't advance the board and your opponent plays a creature here, you could you could just end up falling too far behind. So I think the fact that we don't have a good play next turn unless we get creatures into our graveyard really makes me want to double block here. And if I get a creature into the graveyard and I trade with fresh faced recruit, great. If they have a combat trick and they get both my creatures in the graveyard, I think I'm still fine with that too. So I think double blocking feels like the best option here to me. Yeah, for sure. I agree completely. And that is the play I made. The reason I bring this up is I was playing this match on stream and a lot of people in chat were like, just take the damage. And while that does feel fine, like they're stumbled, we've got a better board than them. We've got a fine healthy life total will just be at 14 still against them, which I think we'll be totally okay with. But I think the key is looking ahead at what you're going to do next turn. And the fact, and you mentioned this already, but the fact that if we double block, they almost certainly have a trick here, right? They're not just looking to trade their fresh face recruit with our crawl harpooner, I don't think. But if they are, that's fine too, I think. But I think this clearly means that they have a trick. Right, yes. And if they do play a trick, that's going to be their whole turn. So they're going to keep their fresh face recruit, but then I'm going to slam a 4-4 next turn, and then I'm going to slam a 4-4 or a 5-5 the following turn, depending on what happens. And that's going to be tough for Boros to deal with, I think. So I was happy to double block. And again, as you said, it doesn't feel like a two-for-one really because Burglar Rat already nabbed a spell out of their hand when it entered the battlefield. Right. You kind of would choose to have Burglar Rat in your graveyard if you could at this point in the game, I think. Right. You could just be like, all right, I'll chump with Burglar Rat because I want to keep my Crawl Harpooner and then I can play Rhizome Lurcher as a 3-3. But I think just making them have it here, which they clearly do, and they're probably not going to be able to double spell, I think is all adds up to me wanting to double block and get my 4-4 Rhizome Lurcher. So does this change for you? Let me ask you this. If one of these Rhizome Lurchers is something stupid, like a crown Ceratoc, like just a 4-3, are you any more likely to just take the damage then? I think that totally changes this. Yeah, I would be more likely to take the damage. Right. I think that that's like the rub for me is that we don't ha- if we had a good follow if we had a powerful follow up play guaranteed next turn, I would take this to no problem. But I think the fact that we don't combined with the fact that blocking might put creatures in our graveyard to give us a powerful play next turn is what makes blocking correct here. Yeah, for sure. So that's what I did. And I think that all of that information, I think, is important to coming to this decision. Agreed. All right, moving on to what's the play number four. You've got a spicy deck here. You've got a five color gate deck minus the glaive because we spilled the beans and I never see glaives late anymore, which is a huge bummer. Um, but you've got all five colors, very spicy looking mana base, uh, dead weight. You've got a guild summit, a couple district guides really help out with your mana. Chemistry's insight as some card draw. You've got triple garrison sergeant as some threats, as well as gatekeeper gargoyle for some gate payoffs and march of the multitudes as a bomb Underrealm lich as a bomb and capture spheres as a couple removal spells. So five colored control gate deck righteous blow and dead weight are your early interaction league guild mage your only two drop creature and then a bunch of threes 
So if I set the scene here a little bit, it's game three against an aggressive Boros deck, and you've sided in Crushing Canopy because you know your opponent has a couple flyers and double Luminous Bonds from earlier games, so fairly likely to nab a card there. Here's the board state. Uh, it's your turn five. So the game, both of you have deployed out some threats. Your board is currently District Guide, Centaur Peacemaker, and your mana is Demir Guildgate, Izzet Guildgate, Forest Plains. So you have four untapped lands. It's the start of your first main phase on turn five. Your opponent has three planes, a mountain, a Skyline Scout, a Parhelion Patrol that they just played last turn. Both of those are untapped, and they have a tapped Sky Knight Legionnaire that's been attacking you for a couple turns. So your life total is now back down to 20 from the 24 that it was up to from the Centaur Peacemaker. Your opponent's life total is down to 22. You got in a hit with a district guide, I believe. And so we're trying to figure out what the best play is this turn. So I think you're on the back foot. You're staring down two flying threats that you don't have an answer for yet. Uh, you have an attack with the Centaur Peacemaker if you want it. Your opponent doesn't have a great block unless they're double blocking with Parhelion Patrol and Skyline Scout. And you have your fifth land drop in play. It's an untapped land. It's a forest. So your hand is the following cards. Capture Sphere as a four mana removal spell. Sky Knight Legionnaire as a flying blocker that could potentially trade with your opponent's Sky Knight Legionnaire. Doesn't really have an attack this turn because they have a Parhelion Patrol untapped. You have a Crushing Canopy, and again, two juicy flying targets on their side of the battlefield, a forest that you can play to hit your fifth land drop, and a Garrison Sergeant as a five drop that you could play for the turn. So what's the play this turn? you got a lot of options. You could cast Garrison Sergeant, you could cast Crushing Canopy to kill a flyer, you could play Sky Knight Legionnaire, hope to trade with a flyer, or you could play Capture Sphere on one of their flying threats. So I am just all about trying to set up my double spell here. So the fact that I can play my fifth land and then maybe draw a land next turn to get to land number six and to be able to double spell with Sky Knight Legionnaire and Crushing Canopy makes me want to not play either of those. I feel like they are the least mana efficient and if I play one then I'm denying myself the option to double spell next turn if I draw an untapped land. So that leaves me with Garrison Sergeant or Capture Sphere. And if what you say is true, if we're on the back foot, which we looks like we are, we're facing down two, potentially three, if they activate Skyline Scout's ability, three flying threats, that playing Garrison Sergeant doesn't seem great to me. Though I could see a world where you attack with Centaur Peacemaker and even District Guide, because I don't think they're going to block with Patrol, like get in for five, play Garrison Sergeant, and try and be the aggressor think that's that's a real option but i think the conservative play if you feel like you are going to win this matchup if the game goes long enough then i would fire off a removal spell here and capture sphere the parhelion patrol and attack with centaur peacemaker i think well you also have an attack with a district guide then if you do that because you're fine trading with skyline scout right i am fine but i want to hold i want to tie up their mana right so i leave district guide back to block to be like all right well if you want to attack with scout you got to pay two mana for it right i think that's certainly reasonable and i think between garrison sergeant and capture sphere it's either one is close i ended up deciding on garrison sergeant i think the important thing is to not play one of your three drops here despite the fact that they could kill a flyer and it's tempting, like that's what you put Crushing Canopy in your deck for. But the upside if you hit land number six is too huge to me. So I ended up taking a more aggressive line. I did attack with a Centaur Peacemaker and play Garrison Sergeant. I didn't bluff with the District Guide. I think you got a bluff there. Yeah, that's fair. I, I wasn't thinking that deeply about it. But ultimately, I was thinking, okay, my opponent might think they're the aggressor. But if I do hit land number six, I can knock out their flyers in a hurry. And Garrison Sergeant is a huge problem for your opponent. Like it's hitting yeah. for six a turn. Yeah. And even if they go to Luminous Bonds, it, you have the answer for that as well. Right. Okay. So I ended up playing Garrison Sergeant. So let's fast forward from there. It's now your turn six. You did hit the land to double spell on your draw step. Uh, but unfortunately, your opponent on their turn had the Luminous Bonds for your Garrison Sergeant and deployed a Hunted Witness. 
So life totals now stand as following. Opponent's at 19, you're at 16. They attacked you with Sky Knight, Legionnaire, and Parhelion Patrol, but the Parhelion Patrol is still untapped because it has Vigilance. And they have their Skyline Scout, Parhelion Patrol, Hunted Witness back as blockers this turn. You've got five lands, a mountain in hand to deploy as land number six. And you're almost certainly double spelling with Sky Knight, Legionnaire, and Crushing Canopy. But the question is, what are you targeting with Crushing Canopy? Do you blow up the Luminous Bonds or do you kill one of the Flyers? Hunted Witness is just about the worst here, right? It really is just about the worst. Like any other creature, and I say, let's Crushing Canopy, Luminous Bonds, and let's get in there. But Hunted Witness buys them two turns against Garrison Sergeant, which feel pretty relevant at this stage. Like your opponent is doing the the best thing Boros can do, which is stop at four lands and only hit spells. (laughs) Um, So you know that probably the three cards in their hand are all gas, which you have to worry about. So I think I would be pretty tempted to because I, I feel like if you crush and canopy luminous bonds, you turn Hunted Witness into a card. Yes. You know, whereas otherwise it's not a card. And if you crush and canopy Parhelion Patrol, then they can't even mentor onto Hunted Witness. And now they're just left with this dumb little 1-1. One, one. So I think I'd be pretty inclined to canopy the patrol, play Legionnaire, and maybe attack all. But maybe I still just want to keep Legionnaire back to block Legionnaire. I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure I want to crush and canopy Parhelion Patrol. Yeah, I think that's the correct play here, and I totally blew it. That was my initial line, and then somebody from Twitch chat was like, oh, you can crush and canopy Luminous Bonds. And I was like, oh, snap, (laughs) I can crush and canopy Luminous Bonds. That seems great without really thinking about the Hunted Witness problem that you described. So I ended up canopying the Bonds here, and I think I sort of blew it a little bit. And I ended up maneuvering myself into a position back in the game where I was going to win, but my opponent top decked a Cosmotronic Wave. Why me? But I do think the correct decision here in the moment is to crush it, what you described, crushing Canopy, the Parhelion Patrol, and play Sky Knight Legionnaire. Yeah, and I think it's important. Like if Hunted Witness were any other card that doesn't get to chump block Garrison Sergeant twice, I think it's a big difference. But unfortunately, that's not the world you live in here. It is not. All right, so I've got our fifth and final What's the Play here. This is a last minute edition. But I think this one is pretty interesting. Unfortunately, I don't have the deck pick available for folks. Um, But I do know that this is a a Demir control deck that you're piloting. Splashing looks like at least one, maybe two figure spore worms. There was a phase where I was doing this in Demir decks that didn't have enough win conditions. This is is my bigger spore worm phase. phase. (laughs) Um, Just because now I feel like they're so like you can just get them whenever. But there was a while where I was like, ooh, this is a win condition at common. So I've got a Demir deck with at least one Vigor Spore Worm because I know it's in my hand, but this is a a Thoughtseize, a Thought Erasure. What's the play here? So this is game one, um, just started out. Turn two, you're Thought Erasuring your opponent. You see they have a Golgari Guildgate in play, and their hand is the following. They have three lands, Forest, Forest, Plains. They have an Iron Shell Beetle, a Golgari Locket, a Gruesome Menagerie, and a Deadly Visit. And I should say what you've got. You've got two lands in play. You've got a Golgari Guildgate and an island. And your hand is Vigor Spore Worm, Discovery Dispersal, Capture Sphere, Island, Is It Guildgate. So you've got you got the spicy thought erasure staring down your opponent. And you've got some options here. Yeah, and this is game one, judging by the clocks. So no information about your opponent's deck. My first inclination was that Gruesome Menagerie looks like it's doing nothing at the moment out of their hand. So I'm ruling that out despite the fact that it's a powerful card. Although if it's in their deck, it's probably a good card in their deck, you would assume. Mm-hmm. Deadly Visit just seems like far and away the best card in their hand. I have one singularly large threat in my hand that Deadly Visit is good against. So my snap judgment is just to take Deadly Visit. Yeah. So there are a couple things that I thought about here. So I think one, there's something tempting. Like if Gruesome Menagerie isn't the card that it is, I think there's something tempting about just grabbing Iron Shell Beetle and saying like, haha, you get to do nothing for a few turns. 
but like I'm not really doing anything. <laughs> right. You're not taking advantage of the fact that your opponent's doing nothing. Right. So I think like let's just leave them with a 2-2. Again, we're a Demir deck, we're splashing, so I assume that we've got good late game in this deck, so probably just getting there is good. So we're trying to like grind out a game against our opponent, I think. So then I'm looking at the things that gain them card advantage, like Gruesome Menagerie and like Golgari Locket. And maybe if they had like a one drop or a three drop in their hand, Gruesome Menagerie, I think, becomes a pretty appealing card to see as well of like, well, like maybe I just take that away from them because it's a two for one. But I've got Capture Sphere in hand, which isn't nothing. Like if they play a three drop that I don't want to like kill, you know, I can essentially kill it without sending it to the graveyard to like remove some gruesome menagerie value. So that leaves me with Deadly Visit, as you pointed out, as being like the most powerful card. And we've got Figure Spore Worm in hand. I'm like, that's probably just going to get got. But maybe knowing that they have Deadly Visit means that I can maneuver the game in a way that I force them to use Deadly Visit on something else before I deploy the Figure Spore Worm. Or vice versa, Figure Spore Worm becomes not the most powerful threat I have in my hand, in which case I'm okay with it dying to Deadly Visit. Which leaves me with Golgari Locket, which I think is looks like probably the most innocuous of the cards, but was the thing I was the most nervous about. So one, it provides them with double black for Deadly Visit and Gruesome Menagerie at the moment. And I don't know what's like, they're splashing for something, they got a planes in their hand, so I don't know how sketchy their mana base is. So there's something appealing to that, but also there's something appealing about denying them something that eventually is going to give them two cards. And it feels like if I'm trying to grind out against a Golgari deck, I want to keep them from doing that. So that was my thought process for selecting Golgari Locket. I'm not sure if it's correct. Like, it still might be Deadly Visit. I'm pretty sure ruling out Menagerie and Iron Shell Beetle is right. But I nabbed the Locket just to try and deny them some value. Tough to know without knowing the deck list here, which I I couldn't find. But I, I think this is a super interesting pick and there's a lot of viable options yeah i think it's ultimately between visit and locket and your argument for locket's pretty appealing like if you know the game's gonna go long and it certainly looks that way from both of your hands right now mm-hmm. denying your opponent a two for one is a very real thing and it's gonna ramp them to both those cards and it fixes for both those cards i don't think long term you're denying them those two cards most likely but just right. like denying them the opportunity to ramp into bigger threats like in a in a game where you're maybe gonna have haymakers and then draw two cards later in the game that lockets are good in a control mirror yeah. So that's what I, I decided on. Um, and I, I unfortunately, like I said, I have this screenshot. This was saved like weeks ago. And I don't know how the, the game turned out, but I do know that I selected the locket there. Very cool. I think that wraps it up for our what's the play portion. But we have some UMA preview hype to attend to here. The ultimate masters preview. I'm excited, Ben. I am also excited. Thank you very much to Wizards of the Coast for providing us with this free preview content. And without further ado, we should get into it. All right, so these are all cards people are going to be familiar with. Obviously, they're all Ray Prince. We've got three sweet commons for you, the first of which is Faithless Looting. Boom, baby. Single red for a sorcery. Draw two cards, then discard two cards. And it has Flashback for two and a red. Can, can I just make an aside real quick about Flashback? You can. I got to play with Flashback because they had the Innistrad uh, drafts on a few weeks ago. Flashback is in Time Spiral as well. Flashback is completely busted when you've been playing with Jumpstart for like five weeks. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, wait, you just get to do this for free? You don't have to discard a card? Yeah. How is that fair? Yeah. Though, as we're about to see with the other two cards, maybe we'd want Jumpstart. Maybe. Yeah. We're definitely getting a huge hint as to maybe an archetype here, it feels like. So our next common is Reckless Worm. This is three red red for a four four trample, and it has madness, two and a red. So if you discard this card, you discard it into exile, and when you do, you can cast it for its madness cost. 
for two and a red. So if you discard it, you can pay two and a red to put a four, four trample onto the battlefield at instant speed. So maybe a little faithless looting, reckless worm, wombo combo action here. And this is from originally from planner chaos. Did we say? Right. Yeah. It's a time shifted car or color shifted card, right? Well, what's it a, a, like a functional reprint? It's a functional reprint of arrogant worm, the three green, green, four, four trample with the madness two and a green. I wonder if that's also going to be in the set. Cause as we're going to see, this may be a red green archetype. Our third and final preview card is wild mongrel this card is busted this is one in a green for a two two and has the text discard a card wild mongrel gets plus one plus one and becomes the color of your choice until end of turn a free discard outlet with but with upside with upside it's so innocuous looking this card is been busted in half in every limited environment it's been in and every limited environment it's been in i have thoroughly 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 enjoyed playing so seeing this here alongside like another madness enabler and a madness card is pretty pretty good stuff yeah for sure so i am excited about the prospect of that being an archetype in ultimate masters and i think you should be too and the fact that all these pieces are common makes me a little nervous about like the power level of what's going to be an uncommon or rare for this archetype. It looks like it could be legit great. And Wild Mongrel just has so many other synergies. It's just such a strong card. Oh, yeah. So you're going to need to probably it's been a very high pick even in the master sets that it's been in. Yes. And just like that text of becomes the color of your choice until end of turn has been relevant before. And I hope they've put some goodies in here to make it relevant again. Yeah, this looks like a very, very, very strong set, and I cannot wait to start jamming, drafting it on MTGO. Yeah, this will be super sweet, and look forward to seeing the rest of the spoilers out. And thank you again to Wizards for letting us participate in spoiler season. Yes, we'll definitely be saying goodbye to Arena for the weekend that UMA (laughs) comes out on Magic Online. Sweet. Well, I think that's going to do it. Yep, let's wrap things up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. We also still have our GRN treasure hunt going on. If you can tweet at Lords of Limited and hashtag them with GRN treasure hunt. And if you're not on Twitter, you can email us screenshots at our email, lordsoflimited at gmail.com. And what that is, we've put out a set of 15 achievements. You can find those by spamming exclamation point treasure hunt in either Ethan or my Twitch chat. Uh, they're in the discord we can if you email us we can get a list of them out to you if you complete five of those you are entered into a giveaway for a draft set of grn or whatever the current draft set is at the time yeah you can check us out on twitch i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can also tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com In addition to our sweet first edition of the showdown videos, we've got more Lords of Limited content out this week. We have our first article for Star City Games. Ben, Ryan Sachs, and I did a fact or fiction from the Pro Tour Limited side, which is really sweet. You can go check that out on the select side of StarCityGames.com. You can also check out my most recent article at Cardsphere about drafting best practices. That will be out by the time this episode is released. So lots of Lords of Limited additional content available for you this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
tons of creatures. Four X, four time. Why am I what? <laughs> I am Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I, I'm Ron Burgundy. Take that whole thing again. Cut and action.